listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at ecu dot edu. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, coming to you tonight from the Civil War Talk Radio World Headquarters Annex in the field on Oxford Road in Greenville, North Carolina, a few miles down 10th Street from East Carolina University, but not in my usual office in the Brewster Building tonight, and not speaking for the university, as I'm never speaking for the university Uh, even if the university asked me to. Well, I guess I would have if they asked me to, but I'm not speaking for them tonight, nor will my guests speak for anyone else. We're all on our own here. Here at ECU, it is midterms of the winter, no, the spring semester of 2020. It's February 19th, 2020, as we talk tonight, and grading the students' efforts in the introductory history class. They're doing all right. It's also baseball season. Doesn't seem like it, uh, but the ECU Pirates have just begun playing and won their first three games. So far, so good. And there's the annual uh, snow-induced panic uh, striking the the community tonight. The possibility, slender but but non-zero possibility, that there might be a dusting of snow tomorrow night has uh, people in a tizzy has insufferable Yankees like me rolling our eyes at the reaction to the possibility of snow and irritating our co-workers. We'll see if anything happens. Not sure that it will. Uh, more more significant, uh, as far as my transportation is concerned, is the fact that my secret parking place on campus was discovered in the past week. The fact that we are temporarily allowed to park in the motorcycle spots because they've taken the sign down. Uh, Apparently, someone has noticed me parking there every day and not getting ticketed, and someone else was in the the first motorcycle spot two mornings ago. I parked elsewhere. He didn't get a ticket, or she didn't get a ticket. The car didn't get a ticket. Uh, So, uh, that seems to be the rule. I was able to get in there this morning, but it's it's uh, the word was out. Maybe telling everyone over the show two weeks ago was was not the better part of valor, but I'm pretty sure they didn't find out by listening here. Uh, in other local news, the bribery scandal uh, involving student government and board of trustees members here at East Carolina University has simmered down, but the UNC system is back in the news, and now we segue into Civil War talk with a judge's decision that University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, the flagship school, uh, must undo their settlement with the Sons of Confederate Veterans that they reached, a deal settling a lawsuit by the SCV against uh, UNC Chapel Hill over Silent Sam, the Confederate monument that was on campus display for many decades. Under the deal, UNC was going to give Silent Sam to the SCV to display somewhere and was going to pay them two and a half million dollars to build themselves a nice cozy headquarters and display the statue in there somewhere. Well, this past week, a judge 
uh, noted that this was all invalid because the SCV had no standing to sue the university over the statue. They don't own the statue. They never owned the statue. At one point, the United Daughters of the Confederacy may have owned it and given it to, to Chapel Hill. But as I learned, I'm pretty sure early on in law school, once you give a gift to someone else, it's not yours anymore. So the statue was not, uh, didn't belong to the UDC, so they couldn't give it to the SCV. And so UNC has asked the judge that who invalidated the deal to now order the Sons of Confederate Veterans to give the statue back and give the $2.5 million back, which they've already started paying and apparently which some of the honchos of the SCV have started spending. Uh, and now they have to account for it and give it all back. It, I'm reminded of the old uh, saying that you know, James Pettigrew, the South Carolina Unionist, said, you, you've read it somewhere, I'm sure, uh, that South Carolina in 1860 was too small for a republic, but too large for an insane asylum. Another uh, saying is, is that uh, North Carolina represents a valley of humility between two mountains of conceit, referring to our neighbors north and south. I think now things are changing where we here in North Carolina are laying claim to that insane asylum identity uh, with this, this behavior over the statue and paying the SCV to, to take it off the, their hands. But the taxpayers, that would be me uh, and my fellow taxpayers, we're getting our money back, thank goodness. And uh, uh, they'll have to figure out something else to do with the statue and the SCV can go their own way, not at taxpayer expense. Another thing people can do not at taxpayer expense is listen to this show because I'm doing it from home tonight not using the university, and indeed I don't get paid any extra by the university for doing it, so it's it's on the house. Uh, and if you're enjoying this program tonight, you can come back, you can actually come back tomorrow night, uh, February 19th, and listen to WPTF Radio 95 from Raleigh, where I'll be talking uh, with Tom Kearney, uh, the host on the air for an hour in the other chair. He'll be interviewing me. But I'll be back here on the 26th of February with Thomas Brown from South Carolina, University of. Uh, his new book, Civil War Monuments and the Militarization of America, uh, as, as we'll learn, is not about Silent and Sam or was not inspired by it. He started writing the book long before the current uh, issues arose, but it turned out to be done at the right time. And then on March 4th, we'll have a program about the internal conflict among northern prisoners at Andersonville. Uh, the book is by Gary Morgan called Andersonville Raiders. We'll take a break for spring break, March 11th. No live show that night. We'll play a rerun and come back with two more shows to round out the month of March 2020. Michael Bonner has a book called Confederate Political Economy, Creating and Managing a Southern Corporatist Nation. And if that does not get the blood racing, I don't know what will. Um, seriously, I, I looked at it, started reading it and said, we've got to have this on the show. This is the kind of serious analysis of the, the Confederacy that is, is not done frequently enough. And if, if the taste that I have of it bears 
bears out uh, throughout the rest of it, it will be very interesting uh, to read and hopefully to share with you. And then we'll round out the month of March with Cody Mars, a, another brand, this book is brand new, uh, called Not Even Past, The Stories We Keep Telling About the Civil War. So memories and economics and all kinds of matters related to the Civil War and the Confederacy particularly coming up in the next uh, few weeks. You can find out about it as always at www.impedimentsofwar, the website that Mark Gaffney keeps up to date when I send him the material on time, and where you can also click on the links that he provides to buy the books that we talk about. When you do that, it, it goes to Amazon. Not that Amazon hasn't doesn't have enough money already, but the click-through gets some money generated for Impediments of War, the website, and that helps defray Mark's costs. And so if you can't buy it from a local independent bookseller, which would be the best thing, uh, click on the link and, and get your books that way. And you can also find out what else is happening. You can also donate to the program through the PayPal button there. You don't have to have a PayPal account. Just click on it. Uh, think about how much money you would like to donate, and the site will automatically deduct that from your bank account, wherever it may be, Cayman Islands, anywhere, without you having to touch a button. Or so I believe. I'm not sure how it really works, but uh, consider doing that. If you make a recurring gift of $5 a month, then that's roughly a dollar and a quarter a show. We had a sandwich drive last year, got enough people to to make the recurring gifts that I could get a sandwich at Mike's Deli once a week. Uh, So we're pushing now for uh, like a a nicer dinner and maybe next year a dinner for two and my wife won't have to buy her own dinner when we go out. So consider donating for that worthy cause. It's not tax deductible. Don't deduct it. And last news item, don't forget, Civil War Institute is not that far away. June of 2020 at Gettysburg College. I just signed my contract today to be one of the speakers this year. I'll be talking about Lincoln in the 21st century. Uh, Love to see you there in person. Get a chance to uh, say hello, shake hands with listeners. Always a good part of that event. So call Gettysburg College or contact them. Tell them you're a listener to this program. They'll give you a discount. Well, tonight we're not talking about books, but about digital history, which I have to say is where it's at in academia. Uh, All the job openings such as they are in history mention uh, some talent for digital history is is a, a plus. And that's what we have tonight, a, uh, a digital form of primary source documents created by uh, William Griffin, who's our guest on the show tonight. Uh, Griff, are you there? I am. Jerry, thanks for having me on your program. Well, welcome to the show. Glad to have you. Um, you you were referred by uh, another listener and guest on the show, and uh, when I looked at your website, or websites, I should say, uh, I, I was really impressed and, and really glad you're able to to join join me here tonight. Uh, reading the about section on uh, one of your websites, it mentions you are retired. Uh, did you do something Civil War ish before uh, d- during the the workaday part of your career? No, no, not at all. Um, 
I actually uh, retired from a career of working in the environment, safety, and health field. Uh, I went to college um, thinking I might major in history, and um, then the Vietnam War kind of got in the way, and I had to drop out of school and, and uh, serve a, a, a short time. And then uh, when I went back to college, um, I really uh, considered that I needed to do something maybe a little more lucrative uh, than um, probably a history career. I didn't really think I could make a lot of money at that. It seemed like all the jobs were as professors in, in uh, universities, and I know there's a limited number of positions available. So I, I started looking elsewhere. I went to uh, Kansas State and got a biology degree, and then I went to Purdue and got a degree in uh, master's degree in, in health physics and uh, then pursued a career in environment, safety, and health, and uh, retired 10 years ago. Well, first, uh, express my appreciation for your service uh, in the Vietnam era. I was, uh, I'm a few years younger than you, uh, was fortunate to miss that that turn in our country's past. Uh, but it also means you, you did graduate from college right when the the boom in history jobs had just dried up, so you, you made a, a wise decision. They, the, the jobs were disappearing just then. Uh, but you must have been interested in the Civil War uh, at some point. Oh, yeah. Um, I, as I said, I was thinking about going to college and majoring in history. I, I would attribute that to my grandfather, really. Um, huh. He was a Kansas farmer who... Um, when he wasn't in the fields or milking cows, he was sitting in his uh, library reading Civil War books, and I got really interested coming through his books and sitting in, sitting and listening to him talk about the war. And he had uh, a grandfather who fought in the Civil War, so he shared stories about him with me, and uh, uh, that got me interested in it. And then he told me about letters that uh, were exchanged between... Uh, it's a different grandparent of his, but um, his grandparents, they were my great-great-grandparents, and mm -hmm. um, they exchanged letters uh, throughout the 1840s, 50s, 60s. Um, uh, there was something like 500 of them that they had exchanged wow. and had been passed down through the family, and some of them, many of them donated to um, libraries. And um, so I, that got me interested in... in transcribing letters. That's really the first um, shot I had at, at transcribing letters, I guess, was transcribing all of these uh, letters that belong to my family. And uh, so I, I think that's where I, I developed the skill in reading um, the cursive writing and, and, and understanding the vernacular from the period of time um, that's helped me to do what I do today. Well, the, uh, the the websites you produce, as, as we'll we'll talk more in detail, we'll we'll take a short break and come back. Uh, but they have both the images of these letters in many cases, and then your transcriptions, uh, so that again, right. it's very easy for us to the user to read them and find out what's what's in them. So we're going to take a short break. We'll come right back talking with William Griffin. He's the creator, 
curator, I'm not sure what the word is in digital history, the person who makes it possible for us to read uh, an incredible number of Civil War letters online, and we'll talk about the websites and so on when we come back. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. This is Civil War Talk Radio. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Have we got a high-energy, all-access sports show for you. You. It's Outside the Huddle, starring Lemont Williams. Each week, join Lemont as he takes callers, discusses the week's top stories in the world of sports, and sits down with active and former players to discuss their transition from sports to business. Outside the Huddle is a great resource for players making career transitions both on and off the field. Tune in Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 Central, and 5 Pacific for Outside the Huddle on the Voice America Sports Channel. Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne Phillips offers a psychological perspective on coping with common and current life issues. This show addresses topics as varied as marital stress, insomnia, depression, raising teens, campus violence, and building self-resilience. Listen in as Dr. Phillips and her guest experts share the latest in books, findings, and information that will inform and enhance your life journey. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on The Voice America Variety Channel. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective, plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite hosts. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at E-C-U dot E-D-U. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. Welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, talking tonight with William Griffin, the creator of the websites uh, under the collective name Spared and Shared, Griff's Civil War Letters. So, Griff, you mentioned initially a family archive of Civil War era letters got you interested in reading and transcribing these letters. What gave you the idea to start posting these transcriptions uh, online where other people could read them? Oh, boy. Well, let's see. I I had, um, I had as I said, I transcribed uh, my ancestors' letters, and I had actually... Uh, 
oh, 15 or 20 years ago, I forget how long ago it was, when uh, web space, web, web servers were, were suddenly available and, and you could actually go out and buy web space, which I did for the longest time to, to as a platform to put my ancestors' letters. But um, over time, um, more recent years, these uh, website services have been made available uh, as a free service. And there's usually a limited bandwidth that you have with a particular um, website, but um, it, it's free. So I got off the, the pan for web space and started um, just transcribing and posting letters that I might have had in my own personal collection. It, it really wasn't until about let's say, seven or eight years ago, that um, as I was looking at eBay, um, looking for particular letters of um, from, a, from a particular region where my ancestors grew up, uh, and I would always take a glance at the Civil War letters that were being offered for sale, I noticed that there was one uh, dealer or seller in particular who always listed numerous letters every every week, and uh, many of them I found to be uh, very interesting. He would, he would not have transcriptions of the letters, but he, had, uh, he would often put scans of the letters on the website or on the uh, eBay listing so that you could actually make out much of what was being um, uh, written, about, written in the letters. And, and so it really bothered me that he was selling large collections of letters um, one by one on eBay, you know, breaking up these large collections really, mm-hmm. really, really <laughs> used to upset me. It, it rubs me and, hard uh, too, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and many times I noticed that there were significant events mentioned in the letters that were not even mentioned in the uh, subject lines of the eBay uh, postings. Um, many times he didn't. He had difficulty, I think, reading the letters himself, and so um, he didn't often know that the name of the soldier or the officer or whatever. And so, at some point, I, I thought, you know, I'm never going to get these people to quit selling these archives as long as, as long as there's money that's available. People people will purchase these. You know, there'll people will there'll, there'll be people to sell them. So. Mm-hmm. If you can't beat them, join them, I guess that's the way I, I thought of it. And uh, so I actually um, uh, made a proposal to this guy. I sought him out made a proposal uh, just out of the blue. I suggested to him that if he was willing to send me scans of the letters, that I would transcribe the letters for him and I would uh, do research on the letters and uh, note any significant uh, people, places, things, events that were going on in the letters, and that I would provide him these transcriptions along with the my research uh, that he could use when he posted his letters on eBay. Mm-hmm. And um, I was convinced, and, and uh, I think he was a little skeptical at first, but I was convinced that he would actually make more money because... Um, you know, information would be revealed in, in his write-up that 
would lead people to these letters, doing searching for certain names or regiments or whatever a lot of people do on eBay. Mm-hmm. Um, that would they would find them and, and would bid on them, and the price would go up. And in fact, that's what actually happened for him. His, his uh, biggest concern, I think, uh, wasn't the uh, scanning of the letters because he was often scanning them anyway to put them in his website or I mean on eBay. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I think he was afraid he was going to have to pay me, and I, I, I reassured him that I was <laughs> I was not interested in the money at all. I'm not out to make any money on this at all. Uh, I'm just I, I'm I'm trying to salvage the history, and it bothered me that these letters were being sold and going back into from one drawer into another drawer with without anybody knowing what was being written in these letters, and uh, felt that it was really unfair to the soldiers who. Um, who I think deserve having their story told and uh, made available to people. And there's a lot of people out there doing research on regiments or looking for their ancestors, and and these letters um, uh, need to be out there where people can find them. And no, so, that... um, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, continue, please. Okay. So, um so we worked out an arrangement where he would send me these, and I, I started posting them. Uh, that was my only the only thing that I asked for uh, uh, in the way of compensation was his authority, his authorization to uh, post the letters that I transcribed for him on a website. And he had no objection to that. He, in fact, uh, modified his look, his listing so that um, made it clear that any letters that he was selling. Actually, may have been published on Spared and Shared, so people didn't get annoyed that they were getting a letter that had been published on the website. Uh, and in fact, there's been no complaints that I know of um, from people complaining about that, because there's most of these letters that I've transcribed and posted have have been subsequently sold and are in pri- most likely are in private hands. Some of them perhaps have been donated to libraries and such, but uh, but. Um, they were, uh, I, I, I'm sorry, go ahead. I'm saying it, it, it is a great service that you're doing. I worked in a museum many years ago, 20 years ago, uh, when the Internet era was, was just getting underway. And in addition to looking at eBay, we, we still got paper catalogs from dealers, uh, stacks of them, that would have a photograph of a letter and the, the dealer's description. And we would cut out the the pages and save them in files if there was a relevant letter from that was useful to the work we were doing in that museum. Uh, sort of grabbing it out of that stream of commerce in that moment when the letter pops its head up between the seller and the buyer when it's going to go back underground, as you say, into someone's drawer or framed on the wall in someone's den. Uh, but for just a moment there, it was in public in the catalog, and we we would save it, but all that did was give us a file in the museum. It wasn't helpful to any researcher unless they happened to come to our library, fortuitously find one right. that we had. You're making these available to anyone who just does a search. So it, before we go any further, what what's the web address for someone who says, I'm tired of listening to these guys, I want to go look at letters, uh, where should they go? Oh boy, you would ask me that. Um, it's well, um, there. There are multiple sites. Google, yeah, there are multiple sites. If you just Google "spared and shared," of course you'll you'll come to one of my sites. There's actually, as I mentioned earlier, there are um, 
there's limited bandwidth that uh, is available through this uh, WordPress um, platform that I use. WordPress is the web, serv- web service. Um, and um, I have now um, 21 spared and shared websites because of this limited bandwidth. The letters themselves, uh, the transcriptions don't take up that much space, but because I choose to post the uh, scanned images of the letters along with the transcription, it's the scanned images. Uh, these are high-quality scanned images that are sent to me and which I post, and um, they take up a fair amount of, of space on the on the web server. So um, once I get fairly filled up on a particular website, I'll create a new one and just keep going. So as I said, I've got 21 spared and shared websites now. So if, if you just Google spared and shared, you'll You'll come to uh, you'll you'll see one of these websites. Um, I also created a um, another site called uh, Billy Yank and Johnny Reb Letters. I believe that is what it's called. It's it's a, a location where I've enumerated all of the Civil War letters that I've transcribed, uh, broken down by regiment. Um, so that people, if they're searching for um, a particular regiment or a soldier uh, company, they can go down through that list and and uh, and find it. So, again, if you just Google uh, Billy and Johnny Reb letters, you'll you'll find it as well. So, um, so that's some functions that like an index just for civil war. Yes. Well, it's only indexed by by the only thing in there is their name, their uh, unit, mm-hmm. uh, and and how many letters there are. You know, it might just be one letter, it might be a whole archive of letters. But uh, in addition to that, I have some uh, over a hundred additional. I think it's no, it's one hundred and sixty now uh, additional websites, which are just um, let's say archived uh, arch- archived collections of letters. They're Maybe so many letters that were written by a particular soldier that I didn't want to just put it on spared and shared, which is usually just one or a, one or a few letters by a single soldier. So maybe I wanted to, to showcase them on a on a separate website. So I have 160 of those now, which are all uh, you can you can find the links for that on this same website that's uh, Billy Ink and Johnny Rib letters. Over on the right hand side, there's a, a link for these uh, these separate websites. Now, a lot of the earlier spared and shared um, websites that I created were not just exclusively Civil War. When I got started with this guy, um, there were letters from the Revolutionary War all the way up to the Civil War. In fact, he, he sells them beyond the Civil War, but I, I had no interest to be going really to to transcribe letters beyond or more recently than the Civil War, so I kind of stopped it right there. But in the last uh, year or two, uh, I've told him, look, there's... I, I'm just so busy with all these uh, transcriptions of Civil War letters. I really just want to focus it on on Civil War. There's so much interest. Interest seems to be much more interest in that. So that's what I'm focusing my time on now. And this particular uh, guy that I've struck this bargain with he told me about two months ago that I've transcribed over 10,000 letters for him now, which kind of surprised me. <laughs> well, that was something I wanted to ask. Normally on this program, I read the author's book. Uh, I read the whole book so I can ask questions. And 
when I started dipping into your website, uh, billyyankjohnnyreb.wordpress.com, and I see all these listings of these different letters, I start going to those, and I see it's on uh, spared and shared 14 or spared and shared 18, and I keep going up, 21 eventually. Uh, so I, I didn't read all the letters, and I, I was going to ask you how many are there, 10,000 uh, yeah, <laughs> that's, just, I, I, that's just the one. That's just the one, and I and I do a few more for other clients. And then this this guy that I do the most for actually doesn't necessarily buy them all. There's so many people that he, he has some clients with that. Uh, there are people that he knows who have letters who don't want to go to the trouble of selling them on eBay themselves. So they mm-hmm. contract with him to sell letters full on their behalf. And so there's some. I know there's some some octogenarians, for example, in the in the Chicago area who've been collecting for decades, and <laughs> and they use him to sell uh, letters. And so a lot of these letters have not seen the light of day for many many years, and so um, and, and many of them not, have never been transcribed before. And so for me, it's always exciting. I look forward every day to opening up a letter and seeing, you know. What just imagining what it might say, and uh, sometimes I I read very mundane letters, and sometimes I read things that I am kind of shocked that I <laughs> there's some new information that comes out uh, that I had not ever seen before. So, so exciting. what's an example of something like that? So, what was something you 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 recall reading that you went, I didn't know that. Oh well, there was uh, I know there's been. Um, a fair amount of debate whether or not there have been uh, were, were black soldiers fighting for the Confederacy. Uh, mm-hmm. I know that you interviewed uh, an author recently who wrote a book yeah. about this myth. Yeah. <laughs> Kevin Levin, <laughs> yeah. That program was very good. Mm-hmm. Um, no, the, I, I uh, transcribed a letter uh, recently uh, that told about a black soldier uh, in uh, fighting for Virginia Cavalry that... Um, um, shot, um, shot a, a Union soldier as he was trying to get away, crawl underneath the fence, and I posted that on Spared and Shared on, on, a, on the uh, Facebook site. I keep a Spared and Shared Facebook page as well to highlight many of the, the uh, transcriptions that I happen to be working on or some of the more uh, interesting ones. And um, yeah, so there was actually a, a black soldier who enlisted, I believe it was the 1st Virginia Cavalry, um, early in the war. Um, I believe he was from Lynchburg, and uh, he was a mulatto. And when he went to uh, enroll, the enrolling officer uh, made a, a comment, actually, on his enrollment card saying, uh, uh, soldier is black, uh, don't think we can... Uh, recruit him or, or, or muster him in or something like that. So they made a they made a bugler out of him. I, I think somehow it, it was maybe more acceptable uh, if, they, if they called him a bugler. But it was apparent that he was not um, carrying the bugle. He was carrying a weapon and he was fighting alongside uh, his white counterparts. Um, well, so that's this a, was I'm, I'm going to step in. We're going to take another short break now. Uh, and come back again. I've got a couple of questions I really want to ask 
uh, such a fascinating site, such a massive collection of information that would otherwise you know, be lost to us. It's just a wonderful thing. Uh, so we're going to take another short break. We'll come back, talk more with William Griffin. Griff is the creator of uh, Spared and Shared, Griff's Civil War Letters. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. This is Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Attention. If you're a parent, educator, social worker, or civic or religious leader, the most important program you'll hear this week is Exploited, Crimes Against Humanity. Host Opal Singleton and her guest show how our children and others are being dangerously lured by predators through the dark web, social media apps, and games. Beyond that, the program looks at trends in human trafficking and more. You'll never think of the Internet the same way again. Listen Thursdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between, discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu.edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at E-C-U dot E-D-U. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, talking tonight with William Griffin, the creator of Spared and Shared Griff's Civil War Letters. It is a series of websites uh, that can be found under that name, spared and shared. Google that phrase, and you'll be taken to one of numerous websites that are filled with not just uh, typed transcriptions of Civil War letters, but also uh, images, high-quality scans of the letters. Uh, good enough that I would not be have any hesitation to cite them in a in an academic work. Uh, you, there's the actual image of the letter, uh, the the words that are in it. And there's also, uh, there are supplementary photographs that accompany some of these letters and artwork. It's really a remarkable series of websites. And as we heard in the first two segments, uh, Griff, you found uh, most of these letters because they're in the stream of commerce. A dealer is getting ready to sell them on eBay, and rather than let them slip back in from a seller to a buyer, in that moment when they're visible to the world, uh, you get hold of them, transcribe them, uh, post the scan. And thus, even though the letter gets sold to a private collector in some cases, it's now available, the content is available for all of us who want to do Civil War research. The, the big question I have is about 
uh, backup that if the amount of work you've done is, is astonishing, 10,000 letters transcribed, uh, are we confident that anything short, if anything short of a, a meteorite hits the earth, uh, is there anything that could happen that could cause us to lose these files? Do you have them backed up on old, you know, five-inch floppy disks somewhere? Uh, uh, how, how do we know they're no, safe? No, I do not. No, I, no, I do not. I, I do not have, do not have them backed up. I, I guess, that, and I've been asked this question many times, I, I would say that, you know, if, if WordPress uh, ever goes away, this is mm-hmm. the, uh, the web server, if it ever goes away, I assume all these letters will go away as well. But they are—they um, are—they advertise themselves as the number one web service these days. Um, so I—I I think it's not very unlikely that they're going to go away anytime goes away anytime soon. Um, would encourage anybody uh, who finds a letter that they want to uh, download it when they see it, keep copies of the images, do, what, do whatever right. you want to do. Uh, I encourage people to do that. I actually had. Um, the National Park Service at um, Fredericksburg uh, mm-hmm. get in touch with me. They uh, were uh, fascinated with all the letters that had to do with Fredericksburg and Chancellorsville, and the wilderness, the areas that they're responsible for. And uh, they asked if, if it was okay with, with me if they downloaded all the letters that pertain to any of those battles. And I said, sure, by all means. And so they are, they are downloading regularly. <laughs> And I, as I recall, uh, there was another, I think it was some, somebody from Pennsylvania wanted to download, all, let's say, all the letters from Pennsylvania units and stuff, so that they're downloading as well. So I would say that, you know, there's a lot of people that are copying this stuff, which is good, um, mm-hmm. because uh, we to preserve it, but, you know, I do not have any kind of uh, a major backup on, on these files and, and, at all. I, I, I mean, right. given this is a labor of love for you, it's it's asking a lot to say, oh, you should also be creating backups. Uh, it, it's the kind of thing, if you were if you were in the, the business, if you were in academia, the kind of thing you'd apply for a grant, get a graduate student to spend a semester uh, creating all this. But uh, nonetheless, it is, it is just remarkable that it has all been saved. I ask you about uh, being surprised by a letter. You shared the interesting information, the soldier who couldn't serve because black soldiers weren't allowed, but he could be a bugler and turned it into a soldier for a Virginia Cavalry unit or turned into a fighter at least. Would you be interested in reading uh, a letter for us right now? Uh, If there's one that that comes to mind that would be particularly uh, interesting? Well, I've got that one. I've got that one that I was talking about up here. This this black soldier was named James Humbles. Uh, he was a free mulatto from Lexington, Virginia, who was on the, the only Negro on the roster of the First Virginia at the time of the skirmish, which is what this letter was about. It was a skirmish of the Battle of Oaks Run, which is early in the war. Um, I could uh, I could could mention this letter. Um, I read part of this letter uh, because it's it's kind of fascinating. Not only because it mentions this black soldier, but it's also a good portrayal of how um, the same incident can be described by two different people. In particular, in this case, a, a Union soldier and a black uh, and, a, and a Confederate soldier. 
describing the same incident and how the accounts vary widely. So um, I guess uh, this is one of the things I've learned from doing all this reading, that it's very possible that um, somebody's writing a book or something, they get a single account of the battle and they, they take it for granted that that's what actually happened and they, they write it up. Um, I, would, I would contend that if you spent uh, enough time searching for additional accounts, you would find somebody else that had a, a completely opposite perspective on the same incident. You know. um, but in this particular case, um, there was a um, Confederate soldier who was writing about this this uh, incident, and he, he wrote, and uh, finding one company of about 50 men, Union men, detached and resting, resting under a tree, we charged them, surrounded and captured every man of them except four who ran and were killed. One fellow was creeping away under cover of a fence when he was shot dead by the only Negro in our party. However, we made a, a most narrow escape, but we had hardly started our prisoners when a whole regiment of infantry came up to the place where this skirmish had taken place and pursued us. So that was the perspective from the Confederate soldier, mm-hmm. who, as, as you'll recall, said that they rushed in and captured these Union soldiers. Now, and I was reading, uh, I wanted to know who these Union soldiers were, so I did a little uh, research on that and found out it was the 15th Pennsylvania. They were uh, uh, skirmishers who were supposed to be out on a skirmish line, and instead they had decided to take a break, and they all gathered together underneath a tree, and um, which is where the Confederates found them. And they, their um, uh, regimental history has a... a description of the same incident, which said, which reads as follows, scarcely expecting to meet the enemy, the skirmishers, about 300 yards in advance of the column, were suddenly confronted by a battalion of Colonel Ashby's cavalry, dressed in blue blouses and having the general appearance of Union troops. Emerging from a thick wood in the direction of falling waters, they rode leisurely forward and halted at a fence. The skirmishers, mistaking them for our own cavalry, obeyed the order of Colonel Ashby to let down the fence. No sooner was this done than the rebel leader, followed by some 40 of his men, rode into the field, surrounded the unsuspecting party, shot down the first sergeant, and demanded the surrender of the entire body, consisting of the lieutenant and 34 men. So, in this case, wow. you know, uh, that, their description you know, is, is completely different to the description. You know, And, and I'm, I'm sure this was done to try to save face with the folks at home, you know, well, you know. We were blindsided. They, they were wearing blue uniforms, and they were leisurely coming in, and we thought they were our men instead of the cavalry, the Confederate uh, story, which was that we rushed in and captured them before they knew what yeah. happened and all that stuff. So, wow. So it, 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 it's great. one example. That's it, a wonderful example, and it's a, a great moment for any you know, researcher or any historian when you're looking for something and you, you find something that draw, makes a connection whether you were looking for it or not. In terms of looking yeah. for something, yeah. is is there a, a, a holy grail out there for you? Is there a letter or a type of letter that you really would like to find? Um, I, no, I really can't say that there is. I guess mm-hmm. I'll know it when I find it. But <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I just um, now that I can't, I can't think of. I, there have been uh, some people who have criticized me for 
I feel like I need to say this. Some people that have criticized me for um, transcribing the letters uh, with spelling corrections. Hmm. And, uh, and so anybody who's transcribed letters, I think, are always struggling whether that's the right thing to do or not. I chose to do this years ago um, to, to, to do spell corrections because I thought anybody trying to, let's say, try to find their ancestors' letters or stuff, they're going to probably type in the, the name of their ancestor um, as it's actually spelled or look for them uh, certain things in letters that, that, that they won't be able to find if they don't, it's not spelled correctly. So I, I choose to transcribe with um, the words uh, spell corrected, and then, uh, and that, but that's always why I feel it's necessary to have the scanned images available so that people can, can see the scanned images, look at the, the handwriting, judge for themselves the degree of education, etc., of, of the uh, person who is writing the letters they can judge for themselves whether or not I've transcribed the letter correctly. If somebody's writing a book, they may actually want the, the original handwriting so that they can transcribe it as it was written or verify for themselves that what I've transcribed and posted is actually what was, was written. I so, think yeah, uh, Peter Carmichael commented on that in his book, The War for the Common Soldier, where you, and many authors have commented on that question of how whether to, to keep the original spellings. But your answer makes a lot of sense, because if you want it to be a, a searchable online tool, then you want Chancellorsville to be spelled correctly uh, in your right. in your transcription so people can search for it. And then they can read the trend, they can look at the the, the scan and see that the soldier actually wrote it phonetically uh, if that's what they want to do. But that, that makes perfect sense to me that you would do it that way uh, right. as long as the scan is there. So do you plan to keep doing this? How long can you go? I, well, my, my wife has asked me that many times. <laughs> 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 when I told her about the 10,000 letters, she said, Something like, gee, just imagine if he'd have paid you a dollar a letter. When I'm uh, not in Illinois, which is where I live most of the time, I, I, uh, I, I have a place out here in Arizona, which is where I'm calling you from. Uh, I, I come out here to do some golfing and, and uh, spend quite a bit of time uh, transcribing the weather. My wife isn't always with me out here all the time, so I can get a lot more transcribing done when she's not around. But, um, you know, I enjoy it. I don't know what else I'd do with my time. And I, lo- I love to golf. I love to read. But uh, if I didn't have this, I don't, I'd probably go start crazy. So um, I, I, I enjoy it too much to, to give it up. And I, I do feel that I'm contributing to the body of knowledge that's out there on, on the Civil War in particular. And... Uh, I don't feel like my time is wasted, and, and uh, the, the, the feedback that I get from people who uh, who find their ancestor, um, who, who who can read for themselves um, something that their ancestor wrote during the Civil War, uh, where before all they they knew of their ancestor was it was it was you know there was just a line on their ancestral chart. They didn't know anything about. Um, what their politics were, how they felt about the war, um, um, who their friends were. I mean, the, the people that are most excited about these are, you know, the letters are usually written to people back home, but occasionally letters mm-hmm. are written to friends, you know, and, and other fam- 
people outside the family and, and these letters that show up that family members never even knew existed because they were written to people outside the family. These are uh, hmm. particularly rewarding to, to find letters like that. And I enjoy um, as, as almost as much um, transcribing the letters written from the home front, people talking about um, the mood of the people in the you know, in Ohio or something uh, regarding the war, the, the conflict with the Copperheads and, and what's happening at home, and, uh, people are avoiding the draft. And those are, those are really... to me is... Those are scarce because, of course, the soldiers couldn't carry letters around as easily as the, the home folks could keep the letters all carefully preserved, but the guys in the field often you know, lost the letters or were destroyed. Uh, and so the collections you have of those letters from home are really valuable and really interesting. I just randomly dipped in and was reading the ones from the captain of the 4th Iowa Cavalry and uh, from loved ones back home, couldn't wait for him to get home. And then the orders change and hearts are broken. It was, it, it was just wonderful to read these. There are 10,000 of them, and I didn't read them all, and uh, it would be a long time to read them all. It was a very long time to transcribe them, but you did marvelously. Unfortunately, speaking of time, we are out of it here. Uh, we, we've run out and even past our hour, but I want to thank you uh, very much for being on the show. Listeners, If you don't have to spend a penny this week. You won't upset the home budget, uh, but go to Spared and Shared, Google that phrase, and you will find a cornucopia of original Civil War letters, transcribed images, supporting material research. It is uh, truly a remarkable online archive that we can all benefit from. And, and Griff, we all owe you a debt of thanks for putting this together. Uh, thanks for doing that, and thanks for being on the show tonight. Uh, I'm thrilled. Great opportunity. I really, uh, really enjoyed it, Jerry. Thank you very much. And listeners, as always, thank you for listening to Civil War Talk Radio. Thank you for embarking on a part of American history this week. Civil War Talk Radio with Jerry Prokopovich can be heard live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.